two Sundays ago, our treasurer, financial secretary, came running up after the service and said, ah! <laughs> I said, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. He said, somebody dropped into the offering bag their engagement ring with a note. And in the front, it said, God used these temporal things for eternal purposes. I don't know who the young lady is, frankly. I don't really want to know. Not because I don't care, but I think she's the type of person that would say, I did this thing, I don't need to be highlighted, so on and so forth. But I think she gets it. She gets what it is that we've been talking about. She gets what it is that we're trying to communicate as we study the book of Jonah. Of what it means to live as a radical disciple of Jesus in utter and total surrender. Um, if you're like a typical Christian, I would imagine in this country, we, you're like me. You are constantly daily battling on one hand this aspect of discipleship, radical discipleship, the call of Christ, to abandon it all for the call. And on the other hand, loving this world, loving the things of this world, Loving and worshiping other idols and other gods in this world. My prayer for you this entire week has been as we study this message. By the way, today's sermon is going to be kind of hard. It's kind of tough. I told you guys, I have a guy who comes up to me and says, thank you for punching me in the face today. Metaphorically, via my sermon. Today's going to, today's going to feel like you're going to get punched in the face. But it's all in love. It's all in love. In all seriousness, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult for some of you. So I've been praying for your heart. I've been praying for my heart. I don't know what that sound is, guys, back there, but okay. Is it me? Move the pack? Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Open your Bibles to Jonah. Let's study. Let's, okay, how many of you guys are just joining us? Raise your hand. Book of Jonah. Okay, not that many, so we'll jump in with a brief recap, brief review. Okay, and then... Uh, Let's dig into this book. This book is about what? Remember what we've been saying? They're about, this book is about three things. It's about? <laughs> I'm so glad y'all pay attention on Sundays, man. This, this book is about our sin, story of our sin, God's grace, and God's mission. And we've been saying that we're familiar with those words, but what do they really mean? Here we go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go, Jonah, to the great Hebrew Gadol city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness, its evil, its sins has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then Jonah sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. We've been saying these key theological anchors. The essence of sin is what? It is running away from God. Sin is running away from God, and we'll talk about that in a moment. What is grace? Grace is God chasing after us. Sin, essence of sin, running away from God. Grace, 
the essence of grace, God chasing after us, God running after us, God hunting us down from, we talked about this last week, God hunting us down and intercepting us from self-destructive behavior. And what we've been learning throughout this book, you guys, is this incredible truth is that you can run from God, but you can't what? You can't outrun God. God's love has a mugging nature to it. Nate, did that kind of throw you off? God's love has this intense chasing, hunting down after us nature to it. In his grace, in his love, and in his mercy, God doesn't just leave us where we are in our sin, but God chases us down. Sin and grace, running and chasing. And what we've been saying throughout this book is this. One of the most key anchors is, unless you and I recognize and acknowledge that we do run, that we're runners, we'll never encounter God. We'll never get to know God. That at the end of the day, we are not, first and foremost, hurting people or, or self-sufficient people or, or we are lost people. We are, we are at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we are fugitives that are running away from God. And unless we are willing to acknowledge that we run from God, unless we are willing to recognize that we have patterns in our lives in which we run from God, we will never encounter God. We've been saying there are two ways that we run from God, Right? Some of us folks that grew up in church, when we think Jonah, we think sin, rebellion, you know, I'm going to do anything I want to, licentiousness, you know, it's Luke 15, younger brother, prostitutes and drugs, that's what we think. And there's kind of a slight modified version of that. We don't outrightly with our entire lives run away from God, but there are areas in our lives where we say to God, God, not that area, right? We have certain areas in our lives, relationship, career, future, money, whatever, just that area where we go, God, in that area... We pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, no. In Jesus' name, amen. And we shut God out and we say, God, stay, stay. No, no, you stay. You stay. That's one way we run. But the other way we run is a surprise of this story. Because who's running in the book of Jonah? The guy that's running in the book of Jonah is a prophet. He is as moral as they get. He is as religious as they get. The guy that's running in the book of Jonah is the guy who's in church every Sunday, button-down shirt, a tie. (laughs) He's dressed nicely. He attends community groups. He serves the poor. He does all the right things, and yet Jonah is fleeing from God. Jonah is running away from God. The fugitive in the story of Jonah is the guy who says, using his morality, using his goodness, using his, using his piety, his righteousness to say, God, I'm in charge of my life. I run this ship. You don't tell me what to do. How do we do that? I'm a good Christian. I lived a good life. I demand a certain life. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve that. I do deserve that, and I don't have it. I demand a certain life, God. I'm good. I'm following you, older brother in Luke 15. I've been obedient. Where's my stuff? The guy that's running in the book of Jonah is you. Is me. It's the religious church person. It's the Christian That's who's running from God. The essence of sin is running from God. To do what? To control your life. To be your own Lord and Savior. 
You need to understand, guys, sin is this, uh, is this instinctive attempt that we have. It's this, it's this kind of thing that we have to make ourselves our own Lord and Master. Everything functions out of this. All the things that we consider sin is a result of this thing saying, I'm in charge of my life. I take control of my life. Nobody tells me what to do, not even God. Can anybody relate? Three people. Thank you very much. Running and chasing, sin and grace, two themes of Jonah. Last two weeks, I got to hurry here. Last two weeks, we saw what God asked Jonah to do. Jonah's asked to go to Nineveh, right? And preach repentance there. Nineveh was the baddest, meanest, most wicked, dangerous, powerful city. And it also happened to be the strongest enemy of Israel and the greatest threat to their security. And we see Jonah running. Why did he run? Because he was afraid of failure? No, he was afraid of? Success. Jonah runs not because he's scared of Nineveh. Jonah runs because he hates Nineveh. Jonah runs in his self-righteousness because he looks at Nineveh and goes, they don't deserve God's grace. They don't deserve God's mercy. They're wicked. They're evil. They're sinners. God, I would rather have you wipe them out, frankly, than save them. They don't deserve your grace and mercy. In his self-righteousness, Jonah sees their sin. He doesn't see his sin. So he flees, not because he's scared, but because he hates them. Jonah is asked to go preach grace and sin, sin and grace, to a nation, to a city. Yet he himself doesn't understand the nature of sin and grace. Hmm. Because of self-righteousness, Jonah doesn't understand the true nature of sin. He sees their sin, doesn't see his sin. Sin's out there, it's not in here. And because Jonah doesn't understand the true nature of sin... He'll never understand the true nature of grace. As long as Jonah doesn't understand the nature of grace, Jonah will never understand the true nature of the gospel. As long as Jonah doesn't understand the true nature of the gospel, Jonah will never be able to effectively carry out the mission of God in this world. That's you, and that's me. You want to be an effective ambassador for the kingdom? It's as simple as this. You need to understand the essence of Christianity. What is the essence of Christianity? Every single one of us are fallen. Every single one of us is wicked. And we are welcomed and saved and accepted into the family of God the moment that you stop trusting in your own works and righteousness and you put that trust in God's works and righteousness in the form of his son. The only way that we are deemed righteous in God's sight is not by our morality, our ethics, our good behavior. The only way we are deemed righteous in God's sight is by the work of Christ and what he has done. And when we believe in that, sheer mercy, sheer grace, sheer, totally free. And to the degree that you understand that you are acceptable by, acceptable to God, to the degree that you understand that you are where you are today, not because of your morality, not because of your religion, not because of your ethics, but because of the work of Christ, it is to that degree that you will not be su- feeling superior to anyone. It's to that degree that you will humble yourself and recognize, if it weren't for God's mercy and grace, where would I be? Christians in this country are not effective ambassadors because we think we're better than other people. Hello? Where do we get that from? We think we're better than Muslims? Why? Because we have better doctrine? We believe in a better belief system? Heck no, church. We are saved by the grace and mercy of God. And that means that everybody kneels at the cross. At the cross, the ground is leveled. Muslim, Hindu, atheist, Christian. We all kneel at the cross and we say, there's room. 
goodness gracious. How do we get into believing religion and forget the essence of the gospel? The essence of Christianity. If you truly see that everything you have is a gift, man, you're going to feel superior to nobody. And to the degree that you feel superior to other people is to that degree that you think that you're standing with God. Your righteousness before God is something that you earned, something that you merited. Jonah's sense of superiority over Nineveh and Ninevites because he thinks that he's standing with God is because of, check this out, his religious record. He's a prophet or his racial identity. He is a Jew. At the heart of Jonah's disobedience is self-righteousness. Just a couple comments here and then we'll move on. I said this last week. Paul says all of us are self-righteous. Don't just think of Jonah. He's self-righteous. And we think self-righteous people. And we think people that are cocky and arrogant and judgmental and highfalutin. And no. Self- Paul says in Romans that we're all self-righteous. What do we mean? We all try and patch up a righteousness of our own. Okay? It's the example of Rocky, right? Rocky Balboa. As he's talking to Adrian. Before he goes, before he goes to fight Apollo. Nobody has lasted 10 rounds with Apollo. And Adrian says, why do you want to fight him? And he says, because I want to last 10 rounds. Why? Because then I'll know I'm not a bum. Y'all sitting there going, I know I'm not a bum. Why? I'm smart. I know I'm not a bum. Why? Because I'm in med school. I know I'm not a bum. Why? I'm religious. I know I'm not a bum. Why? I make a lot of money. I know I'm not a bum. Why? I know a lot about the Bible. I know I'm not a bum. Why? I'm attractive. And the list goes on and on. Patch up a righteousness of our own. Why? Human nature at the end of the day. Our sin-fallen, corrupt mechanism, defense mechanism, says I have to feel superior to somebody or I can't live with myself. I don't know. Is that true of anybody? <laughs> it's like, you know, the older, more mature saints in the house are like, yeah, man, I've been and done that all my life. Our entire life, it's trying to live, you know, we compare, like, I'm better than her, I'm better than him, so I can live with myself. I'm better than, that's our entire sin, corrupted nature. And what do we do? We get judgmental and stuff. Why? Because we patch up a righteousness of our own. That's the powerful truth of the gospel. Where does our righteousness come from? Our righteousness is found in Christ Jesus. It's in him. And it levels the ground. My righteousness it's not my efforts, my works, my giftedness, but in Christ. I'm telling you guys, if the gospel has not penetrated your heart, you're going to be constantly going from, I feel superior, or I feel inferior. I feel superior. All on the same day sometimes, within like span of three hours, right? That's how we live our lives. I'm better than you. I wish I was like her. I'm better than him. I wish I was like him. Oh, Lord. The only thing that heal that is what? Say it with me. The gospel that comes and says, you are more wicked and sinful than you dared believe. I am. It humbles me. But I'm more accepted and loved than I dared hope. At the same time in Christ, he paid for it. For me? Yeah, for me. Mm, the gospel. Jonah is a stranger to sin. They're messed up. They need to repent. He doesn't see the sin in himself. Is this you? Am I talking to anybody this morning? Am I talking to the wall? Anybody like Jonah? Clap if you're like Jonah. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I told my wife the first Sunday when I preached this sermon, I said, how many of you are running from God? Stand up. And the whole church stood up. I'm like, man, I stink as a pastor. And then I got really down. You know what? And I said, Can I say, you, know what myself, you know what my righteousness is? It's the fact that I'm a good pastor. That's me. My patch of righteousness. Our church is growing. Righteousness. My church is. You know, I preach the good sermon. They like. 
Oh, good God, man. You know, I go home and I kick myself in the rear and I'm like, what is your problem? I know what my problem is. I need the gospel. This is really, I think it's a batteries or what, but can we go on? Is that enough? Yeah? Have you guys had enough of that? Stop telling me I feel superior to other people. I already know it. Can we move on? <laughs> okay. Let's go on to verse 5. Okay, let's go on to verse 5. We're actually going to finish chapter 1 today. Verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. I have to say one more thing. One more thing. Okay. One more thing. Great men and women. Here's an infallible rule in life. Okay. Continual success breeds shallowness. Great men and women are people who failed and have struggled. Do you know that? It's not the storms that come, because God will eventually send the storms as in his intervention, as we talked about, but it's our response to it. And great men and women, any single one of them, great men and women, are men and women who God intervenes in the form of a storm, and their response to it isn't one of, I don't deserve this! What is this? I don't need it. But it's men and women who submit themselves and saying, you're right, God, I'm trying to run my life. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be my own Lord and Master. God, help me to understand the most important thing. That is, until I recognize that I am incompetent to run my life, I am incompetent to run my life. And our response to the storms that comes is one of God, do what you will. And that's what makes us deeper and wiser. Verse 5. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, Isn't that interesting? I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And said the men did their best to roll back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Three observations about these verses, and then sermon application. Ready? First observation. Every human being is deeply religious. And I put that in quotes. What do they do when the storms come? They what? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Have you known people who don't claim to believe in God, whatever, they hit something and they go, oh, God! What? What? Getting to something that Romans 1 talks about. Paul says in Romans 1, under extreme conditions, people get very religious. And I'll explain what that means. The deepest need of all of us, Paul says in Romans 1, is to worship. The deepest need of all of human beings 
This is why we're deeply religious up within quotes, is to worship. In other words, every single one of us here, there has to be some overarching thing in our lives that gives us meaning and purpose, or else we can't live. We're not like animals. You can't just get up, go to work, eat, sleep, and then just say, do it all over again, cycle. Every single one of us in this room has to have some overarching, larger meaning in life that we give towards to. True? True? Every single one of us. I don't care if you're Christian or not, atheist. Every single one of us has a larger purpose, a larger meaning thing that we give our lives to, a larger purpose that drives everything that we do, or else we can't live with ourselves. Something has to be a source of our worship or something that we give worth to. Now, if you're not a Christian, can I just speak to you for a second? Because here's the deal. When you seek independence from God and you run from God saying, you know what, God, God or not, just leave me the heck alone. Ultimately, every single one of us, because of this principle, we then leave God, run from God, and we turn around and we seek salvation in something else. Always. Every time. We run from God and we say, I don't want you running my life. And then we go and somebody else runs our lives. When you get away from God to gain control of your life, you wind up giving control of your life to something else. Every single time. You wind up seeking salvation in something else. What is that? You say, your career, your relationship, it's him, it's her, it's money, it's success. Why? Fundamentally, Bible says, first commandment, worship, have no other gods before me. What's God saying? Here's the deal. Every human being, you either worship the one true God or you worship some false other gods. There's no such thing, atheist or not, as a non-worshipper. You are giving your life to something that gives you worth. We will seek salvation in something else. Every time you will adore something, rest on something, live for something, find meaning in something deeply within all of us, religious. The first time I went to U2 concert, I sit down and go, at the United States, I'm like, this is a worship service for crying out loud. Every single person, hands raised up, eyes closed, and they're singing along. And I thought, goodness gracious. Why? For a lot of those people, That's the only source of beauty and meaning in their lives. I'm like this because so-and-so didn't love me. You know what that is? That's a statement of our worship. You just made a very religious statement. I don't find my career fulfilling. Hello, religious statement about worship. Why is it that some of you in here work yourselves to the ground and your spouse says, if you continue to do that, we're done, man, and you can't help yourself. Why? Worship. Somebody dumps you and you feel like my life is over. What is that? Worship. You get a bad grade. Asians, you know, like a B plus. <laughs> oh God, a B plus. What am I going to do with myself? What is that? Say it with me. That's why. It's worship. Every single one of us, I don't care who you are, whether you're a religious Christian or not, you are hardwired to worship something, to find meaning, significance. Nature will be served. You will worship something, even if it's bad, even if it's harmful. You're saying to yourself, I can't help myself. Why? Nature will be served. Every single human being is deeply religious. And it may be buried deep within. But when extreme conditions come, it brings it out. See that we need God. And we cry out to whatever God we've got. Every human being is deeply religious. Second observation, but check this out. It's a religion of fear. You notice? 
How often the sailors were afraid? At the beginning, they cry out to their own gods because they're afraid. At the very end, they cry out to the one true God because they're afraid. That's progress. At least they get it. But at the end, they're still scared. Notice what happens after Jonah says, throw me in. They say, God, are you still going to get us if we throw him in? Are you still going to hold us accountable? Listen very, very carefully on why they're afraid and why you are afraid today. They're praying to a God that they do not trust. They're praying to a God that they don't know if he loves them. They're praying to a God who deep in their heart of hearts they don't believe has their best interest in mind. They're praying to a God that they don't trust. They're praying to a God who is not their heavenly Father, who loves them and will give them what they ask for. And if he doesn't, he will give them something better. They're not praying to a God that they trust. And they're afraid. The natural impulse of the human heart is to know that there is a God, but not to trust him any more than you can throw him. How far can you throw God? How heavy is omnipotence? If you're afraid this morning, I'm telling you, if you're afraid, he is a religious God you may pray to, but you don't trust him. Are we on familiar emotional terrain this morning? Oh, Lord. Third observation, religion of fear then leads to what? Bargaining. See how the sailors are doing that? Hey, God, if we do this, will you let us live? Hey, God, if we throw Jonah into the sea, will the storm cease? Don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable. Side note, if you only get really spiritual when you're in trouble, if you only get really religious when you need something, If you cry out to this God when you're in desperate need and you really crack open the Bible, you pray, or you get involved in community outside of the time that when you're really in trouble, you really need God, it means that you haven't expressed grace in your heart. It means that you may sing to this God, you don't know him. You don't trust him. You may fear him. You don't trust him. Anybody in here know him? Uh, can you relate to bargaining with God ever? Remember when you were like 16 and you did something really stupid? You remember that? Like I could share many. Let me just choose one, right? I just got my driver's license, right? I got my sweet Oldsmobile Calais. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. It's like 1986, all right? You're like, holy cow, I was even born then, man. 
I got this car. Our church youth group, Korean youth group, was going on a retreat to Wisconsin, right? So Peter decides, I want to drive. My dad and parents are like, no, 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 you're too, you just got your life. You can't. No, I want to drive, right? So I packed that car in with like six kids. This is like before seatbelt laws, I think, <laughs> right? We're driving up, right? And of course, Peter, always late. So I'm late for this retreat, right? This thing is in Wisconsin. I'm driving, I'm driving, right? I'm driving, we're late. We're going through these windy roads in Wisconsin. Have you guys been, like, it's, get off on Lake Geneva, I forget what, Route 50 or something like that. We're going, I'm going like 75 miles an hour on this road. It starts drizzling. I'm going 75 miles per hour. And all of a sudden, I realize or don't realize that there is a sharp right-hand turn because there's some bushes and weeds and stuff like that. This was my excuse, by the way, that, you know, hid the sign. So 75 miles per hour. Take a guess. Do I make the turn or do I not? No, you don't make the turn, okay? I'm not no NASCAR driver driving some, you know, whatever. Some 75 miles per hour. Here's what happens. Car flies off. And by the way, did I mention there was a 10-foot embankment? I fly off the car, right? And it was the longest two seconds of my life. We flew off, and I, I tapped into my deep Korean religious roots, you know, and I cried out, Chuya! Which means like Lord in Korean, right? Christianish in Korean is like, Chuya! You know, it's like a very religious term. All the Koreans are laughing, and I'm like, Chuya! In the car. You think I'm exaggerating. Talk to my brother, because he was in the car with me, right? The car lands on its side. The front axle cracks. That's how hard the thing was. I turn around. Six kids in the back. Did I mention that? I turn around. I see my brother, and blood is coming down his forehead. Long story short, instead of going to gory details, basically, and there was no phone, cell phones, of course. So we waited, waited until somebody came, and this person drove us to the campsite. I get there. And the only thing I'm doing is, God, please get me out of this. I promise you I will serve you. <laughs> Don't act like y'all know what I'm talking about now. Don't even. God, if you please, God, and I'm just thinking about my parents, okay? I'm thinking about my strict Korean parents and my dad looking at me going, you shouldn't drive yet. I made the most profound bargaining prayer ever at that retreat. I did, I threw everything in, I, all the, you know, what do you call sink into the kitchen, kitchen sink, whatever. I said, God, I will give my life for you. I'll do, I do anything for you if you will get me out of this. Let me ask you something. How long do you think that commitment lasted? Two months. Do you know why? Do you know why? Here it is. Just like you and me. I didn't trust God. I didn't give control of my life to God. I maintained control. You know what else? I used him. God, if you get me out of this, then I will serve you. Prayer of bargaining, but it's not a prayer of intimacy. A prayer that knows he has experienced grace in his heart. And have you thought about this? I thought about this. Do you bargain with somebody that you trust? Think about it. I'm on the streets of Mexico, and there's a guy who is trying to sell me necklaces. He's, I'm bargaining with him. Why? I don't think he has my best interest. He wants to make a profit. He's trying to lie to me. Why do we bargain with people? We don't trust that they have our best interest. Why do you bargain with God? Whether you say it or not, you don't think he has your best interest at heart. Take it a step further. You don't know that he has your best interest at heart. You do. 
When's the last? You're doing that now. You're sitting there and you're bargaining with God. It's not a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of bargaining. Why? Because deep in our hearts, in our human nature, we know in our hearts that God wants to rule our hearts. And that's absolutely biblical and right. But also we think that if God rules our hearts, that'll be the end of our life of joy, happiness, and fulfillment. And that is wrong. It's Satan coming to Adam and even saying, God told you not to eat of that tree. You know why? He wants to rob from you. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to, he wants to keep you down. And they bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. And you and I today bargain with God instead of utter surrender. Because deep in the hearts we go, God, if I surrender to you, you're going to rule it. And if you rule my heart, that's the end of joy. That's the end of life. That's the end of me. This is why when suffering comes, we think the worst of God. Why do we think the worst of God when suffering comes, when hard times hit? Because deep in our hearts we say, God, this is what happens if I surrender to you. You don't love me. I can't trust you. We're in very familiar emotional terrain. God, if you love me, why cancer? If you love me, why can't I get pregnant? If you love me, why am I still single? If you love me, why am I in this financial mess? If you love me, and we don't deepen our heart of hearts believe that God in his wisdom knows what is best. We don't believe in the heart of hearts that God in his love desires what is best for us. And we don't deep in our hearts believe that God in his power alone has the power to bring it about. Child of God. You know what we're doing when we say, God, I'll serve you if you get me out of this. The one thing that God asks of you, you're not willing to give him. Say, what's that? I'm saying, God, I'll serve you if you, I'll serve you, I'll give you everything if you get me out of this. The one thing that God wants from you is to stop saying, God, I will serve you if you get me out of this. The one thing that God wants is not for you to serve, not for you to love. The one thing that God is saying to you and what he wants from you is to say, my child, I need you to stop saying, I'll serve you if. Instead of saying, I serve you, period. I will love you, period. I will surrender my life to you, period. The one thing that God wants from you, the only thing God wants from you, How do you encounter God? I told you it was going to be kind of hard. Are you praying prayers of faith or prayers of fear? Here, prayer of fear. God, I'll deal with you if I can use you. Prayer of faith. Lord, I see now that you want to use me any way you want to. I give myself wholly and utterly to you. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. Can you do that today? The one thing he has. How do you encounter God? Sermon points. These are quick and then we're done. 
How do you encounter God and experience life transformation? How do you encounter God and experience His grace, His mercy? How do you encounter God? Here's the first point. Take your eyes off of yourself and your problems. Take your eyes off of yourself and your problems. The sailors are concerned with only one thing. We've seen over and over again. How do I get out of this mess? Their entire focus, their problems, their needs, their safety, their agenda, their goals. But that is the wrong approach if you are going to encounter the one true God. Believe it or not, you guys, the only way to encounter one true God is to say, God, I am not going to focus on my agenda, my issues, my problems. I'm not going to focus on the one thing that I'm trying to bargain with you. How does Jonah do that? Jonah, as he encounters God, begins to look up and what does it say? He says, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the God of the heavens and the earth who made the sea. He's blessedly getting his mind off of himself and his problems. Secondly, though, fix your eyes on somebody else. Who does he begin to fix his eyes on? There's a story that I love in the Bible. I love lots of stories. I especially love this one. In Joshua chapter 7. Let me set it up for you. Joshua chapter 7. The Israelites are conquering the enemy land territory, right? And God gives them specific instructions. He says, when you go into enemy territory, he says, I want you to wipe everything out. Don't take anything. Wipe everything out. Everybody except one guy says, yes, sir. There's a dude named Achan. 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 What does Achan do? He takes some of the valuables and he takes it home and he stores it. Judgment comes on all the nation of Israel and they're routed by their enemies. Thousands are killed. God comes to Joshua and says, nation of Israel has sinned. There's been disobedience. God says, you need to find out who it is. So here's how they find out. God says, I'm going to choose a clan. When I choose a clan, have all of them step forward. (laughs) That clan. Everybody in that clan steps forward. And then God says, now... I'm going to choose a tribe. Everybody except that tribe, go backwards. Everybody goes backwards. You have the tribe. And then God says, in that tribe, I'm going to choose a family in that tribe. God, Jesus. Can you imagine if you're aching? You know what I'm saying? Like right about now, you're going, holy crap, right? You're sitting there going, I'm going to be found out. What happens? Aiken. Here's the amazing thing. Joshua confronts Aiken. You know what Joshua says? Joshua says, my son, give glory to God and confess to him. In other words, Joshua doesn't go, you idiot. Because of you, lots of babies don't have dads tonight. Because of you, lots of wives don't have husbands tonight. Because of you, the nation of Israel is fear and trembling. He doesn't go there. He says, that's not the main thing. The main thing is you have taken God lightly. You have robbed him of his glory. You, the main thing is not that. The main thing is you took God lightly. He is not central in your life. That's the main thing. Achan, look up and see God. Jonah in the ship. Achan in the nation. Joshua says, fix your eyes. God and his glory. And when Jonah does, what happens? It's amazing. His issues begin to get small. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Have you ever been to the optometrist? And you know that thing that gauges your eyes? By the way, I'm like legally blind. Y'all know that? It's like 5.1 negative here and like 5.2 negative here. If my contact lens fell out, I literally would be a blur out there. 
when you go to the doctors, optometrist, you know that thing that gauges, you know, the, well, what do you call that thing? Optometrist, tell me, that thing with the letters, what do you call that? Eye chart, eye machine? <laughs> Gorgeous. Our church is full of bright people. When you get really close to it, and the actor goes, Peter, can you read line two? No, I can't read line two. Why? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Line two. J, K, L, M. You know what happens when you fix your eyes on yourself? Things not only get blurry, but you get the wrong perspective. How do you get right perspective is when you go, God, the main thing is not, I know this is hard. The main thing is not my issue, my problems, my agenda, my goals. The main thing is not, I need this. The main thing is not, God, I'm in trouble. The main thing is not, God, I am desperately. The main thing is, God, your glory. The main thing, God, is I need a bigger vision of you. Because when I see a bigger vision of you, my life and my issues get really small. It is when I see God as he is that I begin to have heart. And when I have heart, I have faith. And when I have faith, I have hope. But when I don't see God as he is, I lose heart. And when I lose heart, I lose faith. And when I lose faith, I lose hope. And my issues and my problems seem overwhelming mountains. Child of God, son, daughter of God. Take your eyes off yourself, fix your eyes, someone else, and lastly, obey God regardless of the cost. (sighs) Can we all say that together? (laughs) Obey God regardless. Okay, now this time, don't lie to yourself. Okay, like you mean it. Here we go, ready? Obey God regardless of this. What does Jonah do? Throw me in. What's he doing? Simple. The right thing. That's all. He's saying, for me, in order to save them, I've run. My sins, it's my fault. My rebellion. Throw me in so they can live. He's just doing the right thing. When you begin to seek God, and the storms come, And you're going to say, God, I'm going to do the right thing. Your heart at that moment will tell you, hey, man, that's suicide. That's the end of you. When you say, God, I'm finally going to do the right thing, the right thing, everything about you will scream and cry out, are you crazy? But it is when we fix our eyes on him because he's trustworthy and we say, I am going to do the right thing in this situation, God. That's when we experience his deliverance and grace. As I thought about this, you know what this means? Some of you, you're living with your boyfriend. You're living with your girlfriend. That is not honoring to God. You need to go home today and move out. You're sleeping with your boyfriend. You're sleeping with your girlfriend. And you're brutalizing your sexuality that's intended for sacred, holy union between a man and woman in the context of marriage. You need to go home today and break off that relationship. Is that too hard? Let me keep going. Some of you need to walk into work tomorrow and tell your boss exactly what you've been doing behind his back. Somebody in here needs to confess to their spouse 
that you've been addicted to pornography and they don't know it. Some of you need to tell your community group the sin that has ravaged your soul and it's destroying you spiritually and yet because of fear. What will they think? The right thing? Confess your sins to your brothers and sisters. Should I stop or should I keep going? Oh, I'm not going to. You know why? Because right now, right now, you're sitting there and you're going, I know what the right thing is. The issue is, will you do it? Carlton, come on up. Because we're, we're, oh, a couple more. Some of us need to go home today. And we need to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, we need to humble ourselves. And we need to call. I need to call my mom when I get home. My mom and I got into one of these, you know, cataclysmic shouting matches. Yeah, I do that as a Korean son, and it's very bad of me. And I'm I'm the worst son in the world. And snap out of it, Peter. Anyway, that's my issue. It's not, you know, I'm just kidding. What I am not kidding about, though, is for a week, I've been sitting there going, I need to call my mom, and I need to ask her for forgiveness. I just need to do it. I just need to do it. Some of you, flip side, you need to forgive that grudge, that bitterness, and you're in a, you're literally building a prison of your own bitterness and anger that is your heart so hardened towards that person. You go, Peter, how in the world can we do that? How do, how do, how do we manage to do that? How, where, where do I get the power to do that? What happens if I do? Cost you obedience. Here's how you can do it. Ready? Last sermon point is let to the Jew, Jonah. Verse 17. But the Lord, stay with me. But the Lord, what? Isn't that why you're scared? Isn't that you're going, but, but if I do, cost you obedience, what, what? Isn't that, if I do it, will I lose? If that's why we're scared. And, and verse 17 says, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And the Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. I alluded to this last Sunday. How do you know that you can throw yourself into the, into the, into the mercy of God? You can throw yourself into the grace of God. You can submit yourself into the center of God's one. Do what's right, no matter what the cost. And you go, what's going to happen? Will God catch me? Will God provide? Will God sustain me? Will there be love underneath the waves? And the answer is absolutely yes. Why? 2,000 years later, the true Jonah came. And this Jonah said, throw me in so they can live. And when he threw himself in, he sank. He sank into the wrath and justice of God. He said, throw me in for their sins, their adultery, their racism, for their pride and arrogance, throw me in. But when he was thrown in, nobody caught him. And he sunk into the depths of the earth where he also spent three days and three nights. Why? For you. Why do that? Jew Jonah, why? Why threw yourself into the wrath and justice of God? You didn't do anything. You were sinless. You were pure. You were righteous. Why? For you and for me. 
You can't trust him. We can't trust this God who throws himself in the righteous one to the mercy and wrath of God. For what? For us. And we're sitting there holding on to our little thing and saying, I can't trust you. How do you know that underneath the waves there's provision Is this good news to anybody? Oh, oh. This is why, even though costly obedience, I don't know if I can. Look, he was the ultimate example of costly obedience. Him obeying the Heavenly Father meant the cost of his life and his all. Costly obedience for Jesus meant losing everything. And when he did, the Bible says, he was exalted to the top. Jonah throws himself into the sea. God's gracious provision. Hmm. You say, you can't trust him? I don't know if I can rely on him. I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if he can says my child the cross and the resurrection is the testament to my love for you that I am committed to you that I am for you that I love you that you are valuable precious in my sight that I will do anything I will do anything So God, here we are today. And Lord, I know this was a hard sermon. It was for me. I know that there are shaken people out there. I know that there are convicted people out there. I know that there are struggling people. You're asking us for one thing. One thing. Nothing else. One thing. Total and utter surrender. The one thing you ask, God. The one thing we hold on to. I will love you. Period. I will serve you. Give myself to you. I'm going to give you a minute, church, or so, because we're going to participate in communion today in the Lord's Supper. And if you don't know what this symbolizes, when you take that bread, Remember that he sank for you. And when you dip that bread into the cup and you take the cup, 
remember that nobody caught him. Why? For you. body broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this cup is a cup of the new covenant that symbolizes my blood, my sacrifice on your behalf. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. servers will be stationed up front and on the side. Our prayer team will be gathered around the sanctuary up front side for anyone that wants to pray with them. Whenever you're ready, come to the table. The Lord invites us. And please worship, worship Fix your eyes on Him and worship as you come and as you sit. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Is my desire. Is our God? All will see how great, how great is our God. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus.
as I pray and dismiss you, two things. If there's some of you that say, Peter, I need to do the right thing today. I need to do it. Costly obedience regardless, but man, I need some prayer. I'm going to be up here along with some of the other pastoral staff. We want to pray for you so that you will be reminded of the power of God that lies within you to do the right thing. And as you go forth today, take your eyes off of yourself. Fix your eyes on the person that you just sang about. All will see how great, how great is our God. Knowing that the true Jonah is with you and is for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Journey continues in Jonah. Prayerfully invite people that you can invite. And we'll see you back here next week.